last night. Very quick summary. My, my suspicion is that some of us, not all of us, some of us are a little bit whiny, a little bit sort of, and God wants to make us shiny. You know, if you look at the night sky, you don't see the stars that aren't shining. I mean, they may be there, but you'll never see them. And it's the same with us and our faith. We may have faith, but unless it shines, we're not going to see it. The world isn't going to see it. So my conviction over the next three sessions, I want us to boast in Christ. Thank you so much, Donald, for your, your deep sense of your love of Christ and the way he is alive and has changed your life and is changing your life. You know, we are all work in progress, friends. No way any of us say, oh, I've arrived. Not until the, the, the heavenly gates will we be able to say that. So, so my hope and longing and prayer is that we will get to Sunday lunch and there'll be a real sense of us overflowing in Christ, boasting, rejoicing. And even if that's not your temperamental style, you're, you're more hands in the pockets than hands in the air, that isn't the issue. That is an excuse, friends. I'm perhaps more hands in my pockets, but I know that I have a faith that heals me that I'm called to share and to exhibit in an office, at a school gate, wherever you may go. So we're going to think some more about gratitude or gratefulness, whatever word um, you prefer. And I'm going to read from Philippians, page 1,179, if you've got one of the church Bibles. 1,179. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And I'm going to read verses 5 to 18. Philippians 2. Verse 5. Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything 
without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm blessed with two lovely children, Thomas and Olivia. They're great. And Olivia is improving, but she has a tendency to whine. I've lost count of the times Liz and I have said to Olivia, Olivia, please, can you stop whining? It's particularly bad when, you know, we've been to the beach or Longleat or wherever it may be, and we're coming home in the car, having had a fabulous day, and she whines. Daddy, we nearly there. Nearly there, my love. I think our culture is a whiny culture. We live amongst people who love to moan. It seems to be one of our cultural markers, sort of where we connect with one another, the things that don't work where we feel comfortable. It's totally illogical if you think about our objective circumstances. As we've heard so much on the news, we're the seventh largest economy in the world. No idea what that means, but it means we're rich. We have an extraordinary healthcare system. We have a great climate. We have extraordinary infrastructure. Diversity, democracy, abundant food, firemen and women, policemen, great schools. You could name a lot of things that is great about where we live. And yet, especially perhaps in the southeast, where we have been blessed with abundance, there is a sense of, of moaning. When my daughter moans, I know there's something not right. It's not a fair reflection. But then you know if you have children, you see in yourself what your children exhibit. And I think to myself, I, I moan. I can see a little bit of me in her. Oh dear. Why am I not grateful, deeply grateful? And then I come to a verse like we've heard from Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul writes, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Huh. The word for grumbling is the sort of muttering negative spirit that we so often find. The other day, Liz and I were at a lovely dinner party with fellow Christians, delightful people. But again, I was just really struck that the tone of the conversation was just very negative. Then I come to a verse like this, do everything, everything without grumbling 
or arguing. And friends, the knife cuts, doesn't it? God speaks. Do everything. And I think that grumbling falls roughly into two categories, depending on your wiring. I tend to grumble more about people not working properly. Oh, they did that, you know. Then we collude with each other if we're not careful. I, I, they did that. Ah, it's a form of gossip, really. Or we grumble about systems. They're digging up the road again. It's always they. Who are they? They're digging up the road. Can't they just get it right? Why do they have to shut the trains on the weekend? The grumbling. We reckon when we speak against people and against systems, we reckon inherently that we can do it better. We have in brackets in our mind, well, if I was in charge, or if I were them. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So two headings. Firstly, where to look for gratefulness. And secondly, how to cultivate gratefulness. Again, you've got this wonderful booklet, and uh, if you want to take notes, you can. It is not a sign of some great spiritual elevation if you take notes, but some people find it really easy and helpful, and other people go, I don't want to take notes. You'd be free, brothers and sisters. So firstly, where to look for gratefulness. And what I'm going to say, you know, but I need to say it. Gratefulness has nothing to do with our circumstances. Nothing to do with our circumstances. Think about Paul as he writes to the Philippians. Just think about his circumstances. We know he's in a Roman prison. We know he's aware that people are preaching Christ out of bad motives and good motives. We know that he's aware of legalists who are threatening the church. Chapter 3, verse 2. We know he's deeply concerned that many live as an enemy of the cross of Christ. We know there are two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, committed Christians who have fallen out. And so as Paul languishes in this horrible Roman jail, his circumstances are appalling. Remember our one verse for the weekend? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Well, Paul had trouble, friends. Trouble all around him. We will always have trouble... Do not believe the lie that when I just get to that moment or that person or whatever the thing is you have in your head, then I will be grateful. It is a lie. Paul had endless trouble. Gratefulness has nothing to do with our circumstances. Otherwise, we would be one of the most grateful cultures around. And we're not. Gratefulness has everything to do with Christ. Everything. But take heart, says Christ, I've overcome the world. That's a wonderful phrase. Overcome. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that as our nation has turned away from Christ, our gratefulness has and is diminishing. 
That is no coincidence. I remember my dear grandmother, Alison, my mum's mum. She died about 15 years ago. And what was striking about her was she never grumbled. You say, well, maybe she was just one of those sunny people. Well, maybe she was, but it was deeper than that. I remember she lived in Ringwood down on the south coast, and I remember she could, for most of her life, walk very badly, and she never complained about her leg, and she would go around Ringwood giving people lifts to church, even though she could barely walk herself. Then I remember when her husband, my grandfather, died, she never complained about his death. Of course she mourned. But she didn't grumble. And then she had to move out of this gorgeous house she'd lived in for 40 years where my mother was brought up. And she moved into a perfectly nice care home. She never grumbled. She never said, I, I deserve better than this. She would just say how lovely the people were and the nurses and, and the food and, and the jigsaw puzzle she was doing. And then her health got worse and worse and she was bedridden. And I would go and visit her twice or three times a year, as often as I could really. Never once did she grumble. I found a letter from her in my little Bible that was given to me at my confirmation in 1996. And it reminded me of her deep Christian faith. And so we want to say that gratefulness has everything to do with knowing Christ deeply. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. And if these words are familiar, hear them afresh. Paul, cold, lonely, chained, writes, but whatever, verse 7 of chapter 3, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, refuge, excrement is the word, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. As we see our culture moving inexorably towards moaning we as Christians distinctively have this ability to be grateful because we have found Christ surveys of job satisfaction often rank clergy at the top and maybe because some of them are very lazy I don't know <laughs> certainly a hard job but I think I like to think that the reason is that I am paid to know Christ. And when you appoint your next vicar, make sure you ask them and give them space to know Christ. Don't make the managers, 
people that do a lot of building things, make sure they know Christ. That's the most important thing. Everything else will fall into place around that. And I often say to Liz, I come home on a Sunday, we don't have an evening service yet, but I come home at lunchtime and I am completely exhausted, physically, mentally, but spiritually, friends, I'm on, I'm on cloud nine because I have been with Christ and his people. And gratefulness grows in the soil of Christ. And we need a little help we can get. So if you've been slipping away from church recently because of all sorts of other things, which I totally understand, sports commitments, whatever, then you will also miss the great benefits of being with Christ and his people. Again, look at Paul. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice, famous words. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's not piously optimistic. He's not super spiritual. This is not a verse just for vicars and people who have been called into some form of Christian leadership. This is for everybody in this room who knows Christ. So have a grow in gratefulness. Don't think by getting the new this or the new that, you will become more grateful. In this world, you will have trouble. Turn to Christ. Feed on Christ. Seek prayer to grow in that. Secondly, how to cultivate gratefulness. Well, I think gratefulness grows best in the soil of humility. It's very hard to feel grateful when you feel deserving. As I said earlier, we criticize people or systems when we basically think we can do it better. And I find it instructive that just before Paul has said, do everything without grumbling or arguing, just before these, that wonderful exhortation, he gives us a picture of the humility of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5. Possibly an early creed, these verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it isn't much later that Paul then says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And of course, we know the spirit of our age is the spirit of entitlement and rights, ironically having their basis in Christian teaching. But it can go too far, can't it? I have a right. It's the L'Oreal outfit. I'm worth it. I'm worth it. I must have it. And I suspect that we Christians have bought into that somewhat. Whereas Christ's life is marked by his total immersion and submission and obedience to his father. You know, he never strutted or paraded, did he? He, he, he? he never wandered around saying, you must submit. Never did that. 
You never sought attention. Never demanded his rights. I'm the son of God, you know. Do you know who I am? Hmm. It's extraordinary. I was thinking about this the other day. He never turned to his disciples and said, am I doing all right? How am I doing? Was that a good talk? Good healing? Like it? Don't get any of that, do you? He's humble. Humble doesn't mean thinking nothing of yourself as if we're sort of worthless. That, that's, that's not what humility is. Humility is knowing who you are in the presence of God. God doesn't die for people who are worthless. That is not humility. That's false humility. Oh, I'm nothing, you know. No, that's not humility. Humility is knowing and defining yourself by God. Humility is when the queen walks into your house and you suddenly realise that you're not that important anymore. Sometimes I go to drinks parties and, and sometimes I end up with people and they just talk about themselves the whole time. Have you been there? It's so boring. And you know they're not humble. It's all about them, the self. And when we grumble, we're listening to that voice within us that says, you deserve better. Look, friends, I was on the phone holding for 20 minutes on Monday, trying to get through to British Airways. No offence to British Airways. And I was tempted to, you know, grumble. And I'm not calling you to say it's nice holding in a queue on a phone or sitting in a traffic jam. I'm not saying, oh, great, we're just going to sit there and go, this is fabulous. That's not what I'm calling you to, but I am calling you to not say, why can't they get it right? Come on. That's different. That's an attitude of the heart. When I arrived at St. Matthew's seven years ago, I was inducted by the then Bishop of London, Bishop Richard. I was frankly terrified of him. He was a sort of big figure. <laughs> but, but also just of the, the moment and all that. Um, and he was a man of few words. And um, there I was, sort of almost shaking. And he just looked at me. And he said, get out of the way of what God wants to do. <laughs> Shall we start? <laughs> I had no idea what he meant at the time. I thought, well, I've got a lot to do here, Bishop Richard. And what you've said makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> so I just ignored it for a while. But those words have stayed with me. And I understand them deeply now. Get your ego out of the way. Get yourself out of the way. This is not the Will Coleridge show. This is the Jesus show. And do everything you can to facilitate that. But get yourself out of the way. Friends, that's humility. Humbling ourselves so that we can be grateful. What do we deserve, friends? Well, if you read the Bible, it should have ended at Genesis 3. But God carried on the story. What a gracious God. And that's always true, whatever traffic jam we're in. So we must humble ourselves. And secondly, we must boast in Christ and in his gospel if we want to cultivate gratefulness. Six years ago, I was wandering around a village in Dorset. I had Thomas on my back or front. 
who was staying with my parents, and I suddenly thought, mm, we, we might better buy a house. Nah. I had 20 grand or so in the bank, not, not a lot to buy a house anywhere in the UK. And my wife said, um, I think I've got a few bob. The wonderful joy about married to Liz is she always underestimates her money. It's brilliant. And if you're going to be a vicar's wife, that's very good. Um, she gave me all her PIN numbers. I discovered she had twice as much as she thought she had. We were elated. We just about scraped together enough with a mortgage to buy a little cottage. I tell you that little story because, friends, we're sitting on far more than we realize. Most of the Christian life is, dis, is, is, is asking God to show us how rich we are already. That's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can't see it with these eyes, but these are the eyes you need to see it with. And if only we knew the riches we have already. Already given. Already in the bank. Treasure. Huh. Then we might boast. Near us, there's um, Embassy Row. I think it's the most valuable street in London. Probably Chester Square second. <laughs> but sometimes I walk down there saying, Lord, in the new creation, that one's mine. <laughs> They're enormous. They're enormous. I believe, friends, we're going to inherit the world. That's what the scriptures say. Find a house you want and say, that one's mine. But just wait. <laughs> and don't go after it. So we must boast in Christ and his gospel. We are spiritual millionaires. And the prayer is always, Lord, open the eyes of my heart to be able to see so that I may know and share and overflow. So I must finish. Where to look for gratefulness? Not in our circumstances. Don't bother. You won't find it. But always in Christ. How to cultivate gratefulness? Humble ourselves. When the queen walks in, we know who we are boast in Christ and in his gospel. Just finally, verse 14 of chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Yes, it's good for us to grow in gratefulness, gratitude. But the greater purpose is so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. People ask you on Monday at your work, what did you do at the weekend? I went to a church house party. Oh, really? What was that like? Oh, well, it's helped me to be deeply grateful. Oh, tell me about that because I don't feel very grateful. If you're not a Christian, you can't have the gratefulness that is available to us. It's just not possible. You can be sunny, but you can't be rooted. When Olivia whines, it speaks something of me and Liz. We feel that sense of, mm, we must help her. When we whine, it speaks something of our Heavenly Father. When we're grateful, it speaks something of our Heavenly Father. And our job is to be individual light bulbs. And if every one of us shined, 
much St. Michael's would glow. We've sung about being a city on a hill. And again, whoever leads you next, it's not their job to grow the church, it's yours. You are the church, friends. And the person who leads you next isn't going to be your saviour. You are the people of God. And if you all shine, wow, that's bright. Let's pray. Lord, we want to grow in humility and we know humility comes from being in your presence appreciating your greatness Lord we're sorry when we grumble help us us to see the riches that we have already in Christ and as we behold that treasure that we shall sing about in heaven and know about fully help us Lord to shine deeply grateful for all that you are and have done Jesus' name.